Today we continue in our series, Vintage Faith, about seven habits of effective Christians. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can probably look at some of these and say, I know some who, yes, have done this, but I know plenty who don't. But here's some of the practices we've talked about. Authentic community, biblical engagement. We're, we're better together. We're stronger when we're in His Word. We've talked about joyful generosity. It's not just something we do, but it's who we are. Humble service, organic outreach. And all these practices can be summed up in what we're talking about in the practice of today, and that's worship. In how that we worship. There is joy in the house that worships. Not just joy here collectively when we worship, but joy in this house when we worship. There's something about worship that we're talking about today that is so powerful. And worship is so many things. It's not just singing. Worship is in the, or, is in the fellowship of believers. It's in coming together. It's in uh, living life in, in fellowship with others. It's in worship of the, it's in, we worship through the word. We worship through giving. We worship through serving. We worship through outreach. Uh, we, we worship in the way that we greet one another. Uh, tonight, it's so important as we gather in our, as our community comes together, our smile and how that we uh, engage with others, it's a form of the way that we worship God. It's the way that we worship others. It's the way we reflect who God is. We've been talking about how worship, uh, excuse me, as, as we physically decline, we're meant to spiritually become alive. That all of us are physical decline today. All of us are not getting stronger physically every day, but we're getting weaker. Now, I know there's young athletes and those so forth, and you think you're going to be like that forever. It only lasts for a season. There comes a day, and it catches up with you. And we, we, no matter where we are, we are all on the decline physically, maybe even mentally. But what's good news is we can all grow spiritually, and we can be on the incline spiritually. And we do it with some of these habits today specifically. We're talking about worship. And there's something about worship that raises our level of vibrancy, of vitality. There's something about worship. The Apostle Paul said to the church in uh, Colossians, he said, let the message of Christ dwell among you. Let it take up residency. Let it make itself at home. Let the good news get comfortable where you are. Let the good news, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this is worship. And whatever you do, whether you pray, whether you read the Word, whether you're interacting with your coworkers, your classmates, whether it's in giving, whether it's in serving, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says in 1 Corinthians to another church, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything that we do is worship. 
Every interaction, every word that we spoke has the opportunity to be worshiped, has an opportunity to bring praise and honor and glory to God. That can be cleaning toilets. That can be uh, at your workplace. It may feel mundane at times. Do it as unto the Lord and you are worshiping. Take your ordinary everyday life and offer it to God. That is worship with everything that we do everything that we are. Today, the focus is on how we worship in song, but I just want to remind us before I kind of get into that, that worship is everything that we do. It's not just one thing. It's not 30 minutes on Sunday morning. It's 168 hours of the week, everything that we do in worship to Him. And this morning, true worship fills our hearts with joy, makes our souls smile like this little boy. There's something about worship. Effective Christians are worshipers. I want to say that none of us are perfect in this. None of us are perfect in the things that we've talked about, whether it's growing in the Word, whether it's growing in giving, whether it's growing in serving. None of us are perfect. None of us do it to the T, but we are meant to grow, and as we grow in these things, we become better and stronger worshipers in the presence of God. We are meant to worship. Worship is the means in which we invite God's presence into our lives and into our world. Let me say that again. Worship is the means in which we invite God's presence into our lives and into our world. Uh, worship is a declaration. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration or proclamation that says in the midst of everything else and everything that may seem out of control, that God is worthy of praise, that God is in control, that God, is, that God sees it, God knows it, it may not make sense. One of my daughter's favorite songs that we sing around here sometimes called Waymaker, that God is a waymaker, a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And, but I love when we get to the chorus that reminds us that even when we don't see that he's working, even when we don't feel that he's working, he never stops working. God never stops working. We're declaring that with our lips. We're declaring that, uh, that our circumstances don't determine the, the greatness of our God, that he's greater, that greater is Christ that is in us than he that is in the world, that we, our circumstances don't define us. And yes, we have brokenness. It's not burying our head in the sands and saying, you know, life is all good when we worship. No, sometimes we worship in the darkest of moments. There's an old song that said the Lord, and it was from, the, from, from Job in the Old Testament, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are made to worship, and when we worship, there are powerful things that happen. This morning in your notes, I want to share some of those powerful things about worship. And as we grow in worship, we become more like Jesus. We become more effective. Actually, I believe we become more joyful. More alive than ever is when we worship. And the first thing is worship is essential. Worship is essential to, to be a follower and to follow Jesus. Actually, it's the starting point. If you're here, you're watching online, and maybe you're, you haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus, that's the beginning. That's the start where you say, I'm going to not worship myself anymore. I'm going to give my life over to God. I'm going to confess my sins and say, I've messed this up, and I need you in my life. And he becomes the center of our world. Jesus becomes the center of our world. That's what worship is. And we're all worshiping something today. We're all worshiping something, and we worship different things at different times, but we're meant to worship God. 
fact, worship is essential in the way of the, the, the greatest commandment that was ever given that Jesus highlighted that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything that we can, and none of us will do it perfectly, but with everything that we can to, to, to worship Him, to, to love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's, it's where we got messed up in the very beginning when Adam and Eve they, they stopped worshiping. They began to worship themselves and the creation rather than the creator when, when they took their eyes off who their focus was supposed to be on. It, it's why Abraham was commended when he offered Isaac because he was willing to offer anything and everything to God to trust him with everything, to worship him with everything that he got, everything that he had. It's why the God's chosen children of Israel, it's why when God delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of slavery, that he used Moses, and, and, he, and he told Moses the instructions that he was to tell Pharaoh. And, and yes, he wanted his people to experience the land of milk and honey and the land of blessings. He wanted to bless them, but the purpose of bringing them out of bondage, of bringing them out of slavery, is said over and over in Exodus. You'll find this phrase over and over. I'm just going to share it from one place, Exodus 8.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery for the sole purpose he wanted his people to worship him. That's where we started in the beginning and he wants to restore that where he is our focus. He is the object of our, our worship and our affection. And, and yes, he wanted to do good things for them and bless them, but the reason he wants to deliver us from slavery of sin and bondage is so that we can get back to a right relationship with him and we can worship him. Worship is essential. Worship is powerful. I can't always explain it well. I can't always articulate it well. But worship, you've experienced it. Worship is powerful. There's something uh, powerful when we begin to worship. There's things that seem to be, get smaller and our problems and our, some of the things that we're focused on that are so big in our life, they tend to, they're still there, but they just get smaller as our God gets bigger. Worship is powerful. Worship is, it replaces worry with wonder. Who's had some worries in their life this week? Anybody had some worries in their life this week? There's five of you and the rest of you are liars. So now you got something to worry about. Every hand should be up. We all worried about things this week. We have family concerns, relational concerns, work concerns, financial concerns. We have health concerns. There's no limit to the things that we in this room and online have worried about this week. But there's something powerful about worship. When we worship, it replaces our worry with wonder. And you can't be in wonder of God and worry at the same time. Now, you can vacillate back and forth. You can worship one minute and then boom, you're back into worry the next moment. But when we're focused on God, when we worship, our worship replaces our worry with wonder. Worship is transformative and renews our mind and renews our perspective. The Apostle Paul wrote to, those, uh, to, to Romans chapter 12, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Do we know that God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for every one of our lives? Now, our heads aren't in the sand. That doesn't mean a painless uh, existence because we live in a broken, sinful world. Things break down. Bodies break down. Health breaks down. Relationships break. We have all sorts of things that break down because sin was brought into our world. God didn't cause that. He's in the business of restoring us, restoring creation. He's in the business of making good out of those bad situations and and the sin that brought death into our world. He came to bring life when he died on a cross for us. He came to give us eternal life, to write our names in the Lamb's book of life. He came to make bad out of good. We, We believe in the God and when we worship him, we're reminded that even in the bad things, and bad things are gonna happen to the good and the bad, the the just and the unjust, it's just a broken life we live in. But if we trust and worship and put our faith in Christ, he will bring good out of bad situations. Romans 8, 28 is a reminder of that. A reminder that God doesn't cause everything good to happen, but even the bad things, he'll make good out of bad situations for those who love him. Worship is transformative. God has a good plan for us, and it starts with worship. Then I want to see worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon to fight the enemy. Worship is a weapon that that makes the enemy flee. And I want to give you a few subtitles under this worship is a weapon. First, worship raises you above your circumstances. Doesn't erase your circumstances. May not change your circumstances. But worship raises you above your circumstances. It helps you see his perspective helps you see a different perspective. I, I will, I said this the first service. I will, I've shared, I'm sure it's been a while, but I will share about this lady and honor her for the rest of my ministry because she is a woman who worshiped and she is a woman who prays. 2016, at the age of 95, the Lord called Leona Motes home. But Leona was. a a wonderful, amazing woman when I was a young youth pastor in my late 20s, early 30s in Council Bluffs, Iowa, who I I just admired how she worshiped. And not because life was easy for her. She used to say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Most Sundays I could see both hands lifted high, raised up, praising God. Not because life was easy. In fact, she would say, this is the day the Lord has made, Pastor, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then sometimes she'd give me a little wink and say, and sometimes we have to decide to do that. Sometimes it's a decision of the will, not a feeling of the heart. There were some times where I was discouraged as a young uh, pastor that I'd show up at her doorstep and say, Leona, I just need some help, some prayer, some advice. And she said, have you worshiped God today? Have you worshiped him? Have you praised him? Her life was all about praise. It was all about worship and not because it was easy. And one of those visits, she she proceeded to tell me or began to tell me about how when her only son, she got that knock on the door that no parent wants to get in the wee hours of the morning from a highway patrol officer that let her know that her only son, 19 years old, was killed in an automobile accident. 
And she said in that moment, she goes, I went back to my room. I just began to cry. I couldn't even pray. My, my pain was so profound that I, I couldn't get words out of my mouth. But I heard a clear voice of God say, praise me, praise me. And she said, God, I can't praise you right now. You know I love you, but I can't praise you right now. I can't worship right now. She said that, that voice began to get louder. I want you to worship me. I want you to praise me. And she said, I began to engage in that argument and that battle with God. She goes, but you know who wins those battles? God does. And so she said, finally, I began to worship him. And it didn't bring back my son. And it didn't take away that pain. And I guarantee you, a mother takes that pain to her grave. But I will tell you today, if she could come back, she would tell us it was worth it all. And her words were true. Her words were her right. It didn't change her circumstance. It didn't erase her circumstances, but it put her above her circumstances. And she saw a different perspective. Leona was a woman that said, praise him as a weapon. Praise him as a weapon because when we worship, it also drives away the enemy. The enemy has to flee. When we engage in worshiping God, Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise him, he shows up. I don't know if you realize that when we were worshiping today, God showed up. I don't know if you saw that today, but God shows up. When we worship him, he shows up. And you know what else happens when God shows up? The enemy leaves because he can't be in the presence of God. God and the enemy, God or the devil, they can't be in the same place at the same time. One has permission in our lives to, have, uh, in, to be in that room. And when God is present, the enemy has to flee. When God is present, darkness has to flee. Have you ever noticed when you praise him that the enemy leaves? We should do it more often. It should be a weapon. Yes, we're to flee temptation. But imagine if we would more often than not, if we begin to praise him, because when we begin to praise God, the enemy has no choice. He's not invited anymore to the party. And he has to leave. He has to vacate when we worship him. That's why, you know, if, it'd probably be nice if we could just come here together and do this for 100 and, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. I don't know if there's 120 or something waking hours. If we just stay here and worship all the time. Because I don't know about you, but the temptations that come at me through Monday through Saturday, they don't seem to hit me on Sunday morning. They don't seem to be here in this hour or two hours of we're in services. They just seem to not be there. But they're waiting for me on Monday. They're waiting for me even Sunday afternoon. There's something powerful when we worship. It's a weapon that makes the enemy flee. Worship also changes those around us. Worship changes those around you. Paul and Silas were in the jail. They'd been thrown into prison. And they knew that death was probably the next step for them. And so when, what did they do? They had a lot of choices. They could fret. They could worry. They began to worship. They began to sing songs. And everyone, all the other inmates begin to take notice uh, that these guys were singing. And then all of a sudden, God performed a miracle. The jail cells flew wide open. And the, jail, the jailer began to slit or take his own life because he knew that if, if any escaped on his watch, that was the death penalty for a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier. So he knew death was next, so he was going to take it himself. And Paul cried out, don't do it, don't do it. No one's gone anywhere, no one's going anywhere, we're not going anywhere. And what happened? The jailer and his family came to Jesus that day, came to God. I have a feeling that there was other inmates that came to Jesus that day. Worship changes those around us. Worship, especially when we're going through darkness, changes those around us. 
People are not impressed with our worship when we're on the mountaintop. Anybody can praise God on the mountaintop when things are good. It's not impressive to people. You know what amazes people time and time again is when they see God's people praise and honor and worship God when they're in the worst, dire circumstances. They continue to say God is good. They continue to give God his praise. And then they begin to say, what is wrong with them? What is different about them? That they would choose to praise God and give him glory when they should be cursing him or they think they should be cursing him. Worship changes those around us. And then finally, worship is a weapon because it's decentering, which means one of the most destructive things to ourself is self. And when we, when we worship God, we take focus off ourselves and we put the focus on where it needs to be. It goes back to God. It goes back to Jesus. It's decentering. Well, we want to grow in this. I believe you're here today. I believe you showed up today. I believe you're watching online today because I believe that's your heart. You, you want to grow in your worship. You want to grow in, your, in the worship in, in the different facets that it is and everything that you do and your serving and your, in your giving and your actions with your coworkers and your classmates in everything that you do. So how do we grow in our worship? Raising the quality of your life in worship. I want to share three things this morning quickly with you. First is this. There's some preparation involved in worship. Heather and I were beginning to feel like lucky charms this weekend. Friday night, we had planned to go to the Hutchison High School football game. Some things got in the way. We were running late, so I was having to listen to the first half on the radio, and it was fumble interception on both teams, fumble interception, fumble interception. It was tied 7-7 seven to seven when we got there at half. And in the second half, four straight possessions, four straight touchdowns, 35-7. to seven. How would you feel? If you just showed up to the game, we were feeling kind of, we were kind of like, Heather's like telling people around, see what happens when we show up? We should see what happens. <laughs> then we go to the annual game with the Hoskinsons in our church. They take us to an annual K-State game. And we went to the game yesterday and that same score at the end of the first half, 35 to nothing. Things were starting to go to Heather's head a little bit. And she was like looking around going, man, we are lucky charms. Look at this. God has a way of humbling you. The Broncos are playing right now in London. I don't know what the score is, but I guarantee it's not good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Miracles still happen. No, but seriously, back to the real thing at hand. Preparation. These athletes don't show up on Friday night and Saturday and just expect to win. They prepare. An entertainer or a performer doesn't just show up on the stage, but they practice and they prepare. Even us, when we invite guests to our home, uh, we prepare, we make it ready. And I was thinking how this week, um, three or four times a year, I don't know how many times it is, Jeff Wells, he's in our church, but his day job is he takes care of pests. And so we knew that Jeff was coming Thursday to spray our house. And so what happens when we know Jeff is coming? We know that he's not just going to go into a few bedrooms. He's going to go into every single closet that we have. And so what do we do the few days before he comes? We clean out every closet. I mean, we do things that we don't normally do and even a few rooms that we don't normally. And we, we gave it extra attention. So, you know, Jeff's coming around. He's probably thinking, man, these guys have it together. I mean, these people have it together. It's just... We're preparing for a guest. We knew he's coming. We knew he's going to be in every closet. And friends, even greater, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, he's our honored guest. Should we, does he not deserve our preparation? 
And I'm not just talking about showing up on Sunday and singing a few songs, but are we preparing our hearts? This should be a culmination of a celebration each week of our time growing. And we won't do this perfectly, but preparing our hearts in prayer, preparing our hearts in the study of His Word, preparing our hearts in life groups and being together with God's people. It should be an extension. It should be something that we are doing preparing for our worship, praying for the services on Sunday. My dad used to call it breaking the Sabbath on Saturday night. He didn't want us to go in bed too late on Saturday night because he knew it would affect us on Sunday morning. Don't think I can go to a K-State game every single Saturday. Fun, but I was struggling getting out of bed this morning. Preparation. Then preparation moves to participation. We are meant to be participants. We're not meant to be on the sidelines. We're not meant to be observers, waiting to see what happens. We're meant to be active participants. I came across a quote from Pastor Drew Smith. I have it on the screen. I want to share it with you. He says, we live in a culture bathed in the entertainment mentality. We pay good money to go to movies, concerts, and other forms of entertainment. We have hundreds of cable channels to choose from and Netflix. We are perhaps the most entertained culture in history, yet this often spills over into our worship as we come to be entertained. If worship is boring, we complain. If we're not being entertained by worship, we complain. But worship is not about entertainment. Worship is not about meeting my entertainment needs. Worship is about participation with the saints in the eternal praise and experience of God. We were meant to be participants. We were meant to engage, which leads me to the last thing is expectation. Prepare, preparation, participation, but we gotta change our expectations. We, we gotta raise our expectations in our worship. We've got to raise what are our expectations. And I ask this question of you this morning. Are you expectant or are you a reactant worshiper? Meaning, like when we come together here this morning, do you come expecting God's going to do something good in your life? Do you come expecting that God's going to speak to your heart? Do you come expecting that God is going to speak to your neighbors and those around you? Do you come with an expectant heart that God wants to do something, is doing something, is going to do something in the life of his church and his people? Or do we come with a reactant heart of going, we'll just wait and see. We'll see what happens. If it's good today, if Pastor Dustin is on, his worship team's on, we're in. If Pastor Kent brings a good message, we're in. But if it's a stinker, we're out. <laughs> we're going to come back next week. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But do we come as reactant worshipers or do we come as expectant worshipers? Another way to say this, do you come and do we come, do we come as thermostats or thermometers? Do we come to gauge what the wind and the temperature is and how it is? Or do we come ready to set the thermostat? Do we come ready to raise up the thermostat? I love middle September through about mid-November till my family can't tolerate it anymore. I love when there's no utility bills or very little utility bills. But in the summer, there's a price to pay to have a cooler house. And in the winter, to turn that thermostat up, there's a price to pay to keep it a little bit warmer and a little bit cozier. And friends, there's a price to pay in our worship. We should not give to God that which costs us nothing. 
We shouldn't just hope and, 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 and wait for the temperature and watch how the other thermostats or if there's thermostats in the room and we're going to be the thermometer and we're just going to gauge it off others, but we should be the thermometers. The people of God should be the thermometers. And I'm not just talking about here in this Sunday morning worship setting, but friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today and those on you online as well, we should be the thermometers in our workplace. We should be the thermometers in our school classes and on the football field and the basketball field. We should be the thermometers. We should be raising the, the thermostat. We should be raising the temperature. We should be, people should be sad when we don't show up to work and we're sick. People should be sad when we're not at school. They, they, we should be putting off a fragrance that when we walk out of the room, people are going, you know, it just smells a little better. Everything tastes a little better. Things are just better. Are we thermostats? Are we thermometers? Even in how we worship and how we greet one another, we can be a thermostat or we can be a thermometer. We can wait for things to be good or we can, we can choose that no matter what, God is good. Whether in the mountaintop or in the valley, we're going to say God is good. And as my friend Leona would say, it's a choice sometimes. Last week, Heather and I were worshiping in a church near uh, in Bourbon A or Kankakee, Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago with our youngest daughter, Riley. And as we were worshiping, and I was like, there's first couple songs we were singing. I was like, man, I know these. We sing these. And it was just easy, and worship came natural to me. And I was being a little bit more of a thermometer uh, than, a, than a thermostat because the third song came along. I didn't know the words. Honestly, I didn't really like the rhythm. Um, for it's hard to, for me to clap and chew bubble gum at the same time. And so I was having a tough time kind of getting the words out. And if I'm honest, there was a few on the worship team that's not as good as our worship team. And I was comparing that and thinking, man, there's little sounds that are off there coming from the stage. And I began to go in this mode. And then I began to think, guess what I'm preaching about next week? <laughs> Am I going to listen to my own words? Am I going to preach? Am I going to practice what I preach or am I going to go into my, my default? When I go to other churches, I have a default. I can naturally kind of go into critique mode and complain mode and comparison mode. But then I felt the Holy Spirit kind of say, you know what? You can't sing the words very well. Focus on the words. Pay attention to what they say. Find out what the meaning is here. And we got the meaning because sometimes we sing things. We do it here too. And we sing it over and over and over and over. I think part of it's to get it into our head. And I got this message in our head. There's no other name like yours, Jesus. I can't sing that song again for you today. I was singing it by the end of that song. But we have a choice to make. Are we going to be thermostats or thermometers in our churches, in our workplaces, in our schools? God wants us to raise the temperature. Or in the summer to be a cool, refreshing drink to those around us. We as the people of God, when we worship, we're at our best. When our focus is on Him, we're at our best. When we're given in praise and glory, worry is replaced by wonder. There's something powerful that happens. There's something essential for each of us to worship Him. And so this morning, we're gonna close in worship of, at the end of the month of every month we do, we have communion. 
Now, some churches do communion every single week, and that's okay. Some do it twice a year. We do it once a month. In Scripture, it doesn't say, Jesus didn't say how often to do it. He gave clear instructions of how to do it. And he said, whenever you get together and drink of the cup and break the bread, I want you to do one thing. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember me. Because, friends, that's what worship is. When we remember Jesus, when we remember what he did for us on the cross, when we remember that he didn't stay on that cross, but three days later he rose again, defeating our enemy of death and sin. We remember what he's done for us. And when we remember Christ, we are worshiping. So we're getting ready to receive communion today. And if you're new with us, if you're, on, if you're online today, feel free to go to the fridge, grab some bread and grab it, some apple juice or something. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a, it's a symbol of what it represents. But for those of us in this room today, if you're new, you don't have to be a member of this church to receive communion with us. It's just make it a statement that I'm not perfect, but my desire is to draw closer to Jesus, to remember Christ today to make him the Lord of your life, to make him the Savior of your soul. So we're going to receive communion in a moment. Uh, we just thought maybe let's do it as a response. We've done this a few times where there's an action on our part. And if there's someone that can't physically come forward and receive communion, just raise your hand. We'll bring you communion. We don't want to leave anybody out. And if you don't feel comfortable taking communion, you don't need to take, take so either. There's no judgment either. But as you come forward today and receive the elements, you'll take them back to your seat, you'll hold on to them, and then I'll come up in the end and we'll all receive communion together. Because communion was meant to be together. Communion is reconciliation not only between us and Christ, but he also came to reconcile us one to another. And so as Dustin quietly plays, this will take a few moments to do this. I'm just going to invite you to stand now, actually. And then as he play, plays quietly, uh, we're going to just take a moment to reflect on the message. Let God let it sink into our hearts. And then we're just going to receive in celebration as well as reverence of the elements that you'll take back to your seats. In a few moments, I'll come back up and lead us in a time of communion. But let's remember Jesus today. Let's worship him as we receive the elements of communion today. Feel free to come forward. There is a gluten-free on this one right here.
You may be seated this morning. Different thoughts go through our minds as we receive communion. A thousand different thoughts probably running through the hundreds of minds in here. There's some different thoughts I might share from the first service this morning, but also the thought that just came to my mind right now, what allows us to do this is nothing we have done. We receive this by the grace of God. When we come to the table, there's nothing we've done to earn it or deserve it. It's just a gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the gift of God that we receive this. Sharing with the first service, what was coming to my mind was, I wanted us to just kind of think of what that night must have been like a couple thousand years ago. When Jesus gathered around with his 12 disciples and they were leaning around the table, one of them he knew was gonna betray him, but he didn't exclude him in the invitation to receive the elements that night. They were coming to celebrate the Passover, the, the last plague of Egypt where all the firstborn were taken, but the, the children of Israel put the blood over the doorposts as God had instructed them to, that the angel of death would pass over them, and they were coming to celebrate that Passover, their God's deliverance, and then their, their freedom into the promised land. They were, they were celebrating the Passover, but Jesus was getting ready to, to institute a new covenant, a Passover that was lasting a passed over that could no longer require any act on our part except faith, faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And I want us to just think about those 12 and Jesus in, those, in that room. And I want you to think about what it must have felt like to be there. They'd been together for three years, 24-7. I think they felt pretty comfortable. I think they knew that they were loved. I don't think there was any question marks in their mind of, does Jesus love me or not? I think they knew. And I think Jesus could feel the love of these 12. And I don't think it was just a love between Jesus and each of those individuals. I think there was a love amongst one another. God had brought and Christ had invited all these men from different backgrounds, some fishermen, ordinary fishermen, some tax collectors, one a zealot, kind of like a terrorist. I mean, he just, he invited everyone to the table. There was no one that he excluded. And he brought this ragtag group together and he created a family, a family centered around one person, the person of Jesus Christ who would go to the cross that next day, would defeat our enemy of sin and death three days later. I just wonder what it felt like in that room that night. I just have a feeling the love was thick. I have a feeling there was such gratitude in their hearts, such a privilege to be in his presence. And I want us to feel that this morning. I want those online to feel that this morning that we've been invited into the presence of God. Not because we earned it or deserved it, just because he loves us because we are. 
You love your children not because of anything they could do for you. You just love them because they're your kids. That's the way the Father looks at us. So Jesus, when he passed around the elements and he broke the bread, he said, guys, whenever you do this, for now on, because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to send my spirit, though. I'm not going to leave you alone. Whenever you do this, for now on, remember, remember how much I love you. Then Jesus passed around the cup and he said, for whenever you drink of this cup in the future, whenever you drink of it again, remember my blood that was spilled for you, that my blood that's gonna be poured out for you and shed for you. And remember that it gives you the forgiveness of sins. And friends, let's remember because of this, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have a hope, we have a future, we have a God who's waiting for us, who's preparing a place for us because of what he's done for us. Take it and be thankful that he's forgiven us. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your church in which you died for. Thank you, Lord, for paying our penalty of sin and death. Thank you, Lord, for being raised to life three days later. Thank you for the deep love that you have for each and every person in this room online and everyone around the world. May we go out of this place, be your hands and your feet, sharing your love. In Jesus' name, amen.